Hello. Hey. How, How are you? you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Have you been? Yeah, good. Uh, went out today. I thought uh, there's like a tree festival thing near my house today, so we rushed there and then realised it was next week. So that was fun. <laughs> and then there's a castle that wants to just basically live in it and look after it and make sure it doesn't fall apart, which is like... like there are jobs like that. I need to start. Wow. Oh, literally some weird jobs out there, if you look for them. <laughs> I need to start considering just living in the castle. Do you yeah. get like... Do you get fed as well? Like, you don't have to do anything. That would be ideal. I don't know. You get to live there for free, and it's like a three-bedroom flat in the castle. So, so no, no, no rent. Like, wow. so, yeah. So I don't. I didn't even look at what the salary was, but at that point, you don't really care, do you? Because you're like, well, I ain't got no rent to pay. <laughs> live in a castle. <laughs> yeah. Why do you have to put our stuff? Oh, my God. That would yeah. be an ideal job. I'm not going to lie. Literally, friends of mine are a couple. They look after like an old manor house. She looks after the house, and he does the garden, and they get to live there for free. And it's like a seventeen-bedroom wow. ex palace or something. It's insane. But, but if you're not, that's gonna be expensive because you have to take care of everything your your own money, isn't it? I think so. So it's just things like yeah, because it's always falling apart and stuff. So it's like oh, patch the roof. Oh, you know, whatever. Yeah. I could do it. <laughs> too much stress for me <laughs> like, yeah. how's your weekend well my weekend has been okay what did i do yeah yesterday i went out a friend of mine is doing so he does this photography thing and he wanted to take some pictures so cute just went out i don't know if i did a good job for him or I <laughs> for him and hopefully it's good enough for him you might uh, have got a new profile pic out of it you know looking smooth who knows who knows it might come out really good but it was raining yesterday because we thought like we could get like a slot where it wasn't raining but it just didn't happen so we just had to do what we gotta do but yeah hopefully well, yeah i'm sure they'll be good anyways um welcome to the podcast officially i guess thank you and <laughs> It's not really official, it's more like um, fun. I, I guess the point of the conversation today is around sort of everything is getting back to normal now in the UK, even though we have like people everywhere listening, but things are starting to get almost back to normal in the UK. Um, but how has your experience, how's, been, how's your experience been so far with the lockdown and sort of working from home? Yeah, it's been a really interesting experience. So for a bit of context for people who don't know me, um, I actually worked from home part-time. Mm. Before the pandemic, I would do two days a week from home, three days in the office due to sort of ongoing um, health issues that my employer was very great about, really good at being like, yep, you can work from home um, to, to help you out with that. So when everybody else suddenly went to working from home, I felt a bit like a guru. I was <laughs> like, I've been doing this for a while. I can advise you. But it was a complete, complete change. So when I was working from home before, it was, for a better word, like a lonely experience. Like, because I wasn't there in the office, people wouldn't ask me. So people wouldn't want to call me. Uh, like, literally, I could go all day without talking to anybody. And our team is like a very social team. We do a lot of collaborative working. So it felt really weird to suddenly be like in this bubble on my own. And that was great for days when I had like stuff I need to get on with. I need to get it done. I don't need bothering. It was great. But other days I was like, oh, I miss, you know, being in the team meetings. Or I miss hearing about how things are going. Yeah. So it was a bit of a lonely one. And then when everybody went online, 
you're like, it was the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> like, We're I all don't, in this together now. <laughs> all in this together. Yeah. And I think uh, it was that balance of like, obviously, you want to still feel like a team. So it was like, right, we're going to meet on Zoom and right, we're going to have these check ins. We're going to, uh, you know, have tea time in the afternoon where we can just chat. But suddenly shifting your whole mindset into that was was a lot. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I find like, because I'd, I'd never worked from home before. So I found it quite different, to be honest. I think initially I was like, this is the jackpot for me. I don't go anywhere. So <laughs> timing. I'm just going to stay at home and work from home. But because like I'm working and studying at the same time at home, I kind of need a change of environment because when you're doing everything in the same spot, yeah. I don't know, especially like the uni stuff, you really get demotivated to do them because like, I just need a change of environment. I need to go out there and do something else. Did you, did you find something similar like that? Yeah, literally. I think finding, you know, when I was working in an office, it was very much you had that routine of I have to get up at this time. I have to get dressed like a human. I have to be at the bus stop at this time. I have to walk into work at this time. If I do this, I can get a coffee on the way. It gives you a routine and it gives you that time for your brain to go from I'm at home mode into I'm at work mode. And very much when I first started working from home, I would roll out of bed five minutes before I was in my first <laughs> meeting. And, you know, you know, I'd still be wearing pajamas on the bottom half, throw a jacket on the top and be like, that'll do. Because I didn't have that processing time of like, I've gone from home Esther to work Esther. So that was like a really hard thing to get my mind used to is like oh actually I still needed to find a way to switch myself into that and I've had loads of advice from people there's people that are like oh I still go out and go for a walk and then walk back into my house as if I'm walking into the office or you know I have one cup of coffee in my pajamas and then I get dressed for work and then I have my second cup of coffee so I feel like I've sort of arrived you know it's about finding what works for you with that but that switch if you don't have that physical cue, I think the one good thing is I'm really lucky I have a desk, so I don't work from my bed. Yeah. And I don't know about you as a student, blessed, but so many young people I've talked to that are like, well, I do school from my bed, I sleep in my <laughs> bed, I scroll on my phone in bed. Like, there is no separation. Let me tell you that when uni first started, I would be like, lecture starts at nine, 8.55 or 8.57, bring out yep. my laptop, turn it on, <laughs> put on the Zoom. It would just be in the background, and God knows, I'm yeah. not listening to half of what they're saying. But I feel yeah. like over time, that that is that is actually not good. It's quite detrimental because, like, your body, for me personally, my body and my mind wasn't prepared for the day. Because as soon as when I started like working with big ideas, as soon as I realized that I actually need to get up at least do the normal things I would do, like get up, get like warm water brush get ready for the day like prepare my mind for the day because if mm-hmm. i don't it would be a very very difficult day i'm telling you because i will because i tried it the first few months of like the first couple of weeks and i was just like get up from bed there you go lecture put it in the background and i was like for, i think for the first couple of months of my uni i don't think i learned anything to be honest no no it wasn't my fault entirely <laughs> sometimes the Zoom is not, it's not ideal, especially for the course I do, it's not ideal. So, yeah. like, you kind of don't have the motivation to to do it. But I, I guess with working, it's a bit different because you know you have to work. 
I think, yeah, what you've really pinned on there is like the slight difference between uni and work. And it's that thing, just going back to what you said about like being prepared for it. Like we forget that as humans, we thrive on routine, we thrive on ritual. So like anything else we do in our life, there is a build up to it. If you are going to the gym, you pack your gym clothes, you get your running shoes out, you do whatever, you pack your bag, you walk there. There are very few other things in life where you just go and now I'm ready to do it. You know, you wouldn't run a race without prepping for it. Mm-hmm. and get yourself in the mindset and I think with uni particularly for some people who work it was easy to think like oh I don't need that prep time I can just roll up and be ready and it's like no your brain needs that routine yeah. it's so helpful for it and then yeah I think the difference between like studying at home and working at home is like studying at home it's on you <laughs> and like that it's the same like I I was not great at uni I was I had a pee chamfer over sleeping till five in the afternoon and missing all my lectures and that was on me if I did bad in that class or if I did bad on that assignment that was on me yeah you know with work the consequences are much higher because you're not only letting yourself down but you can be letting team members down you can be letting a project down you are accountable um and you know touch wood I've not yet been in the situation at big ideas where I've had to like (laughs) be pulled on for anything but I would hate for that to happen because these I work with people that I respect I work with people that I want to do good work with and for me to be labeled as somebody who was flaky or somebody who never came prepared that would like that would hurt my vision of me and my version of myself that I hold to a high standard yeah um and so I think that that's such a huge part in it is actually relying on the people around you to keep yourselves accountable is actually really important as well do you I I think you made a great point but do you find that it's sort of hard because like you work with people and like when you're working in an office you can like tell like the relationship between people or how people are feeling of each other but is that actually possible on Zoom? Because, like, on Zoom, like, for me, for example, when I first joined Bigger Days, it was more like I joined, like, working from home. So it's quite hard to tell what the, like, dynamics were and how everybody worked together. Like, how do you actually know, like, what is going on? Like, if you, everyone is in isolation, it's hard to know what's going on. Absolutely, 100%. And this is a thing, I'm going to ask you in a question uh, question in a minute, bless it's a prep for that. But so, um, so obviously I had the advantage that I knew my team members, I'd met them all in person beforehand, moving into an online thing. So, you know, and it's that thing of, you know, on Zoom, you can tell, you know, if, if someone's got their camera on or something's up with somebody's voice, you can tell like, oh, I know that means that person's upset. I know something's going on. Yeah. The difference being in the office, if somebody's having a rough day, you grab them, you take them for a cup of tea, you sit yeah. in the kitchen with them and you go, look, what's going on? What's wound you up? What's upset you? What's happening at home? And you yeah. talk it out and you support each other. You can't do that on Zoom. <laughs> or, you know, you can't like go off into a breakout room on the sly and be like, hey, what's going on? So it takes away what I very much think of as like those human building personal moments or it's yeah. that thing of, you know, it, we were talking about this the other day, uh, one of our co-workers who I love working with, she's brilliant, I'm never on a project with her. Mm-hmm. We are kind of um, aligned skill sets, so we end up working quite separately from each other. And I can't remember the last time me and her were like talking outside of a team meeting where everybody else is there. And it's like, wow, actually in the office, I would just pop over and be like, hey, how are you? How's this going? How's life? So all those bits that make your colleagues people, you lose them and they just become faces on a screen that are talking about work. (laughs) And and structuring in those moments takes away the spontaneity of them. You know, like our company has been brilliant. They have tried to make social interactions happen. They've tried to make social spaces for us. And they are great, but it's not the same. It doesn't feel like that. Yeah. And so this is what I was going to ask you, Blessed, is like, 
you know, like I was saying, I knew everybody before we went into this. You joined the team <laughs> to a box full of faces um, and a mad Yorkshire woman going, hi, I'm your line manager now. <laughs> so what was that like, you know, from your, from, you know, from your point of view versus jobs where you have gone in and like met people? I think it was, it was different, definitely. But I don't, I don't think it was different in a bad way. I think it was different in a very good way in, in, in the sense that I think I learned differently and I sort of like was, I didn't think I would be able to sort of pick up things quite quickly, but I think I was able to work out like what the dynamics was between everybody and what everybody, how everybody worked and all of that. But that was only because like of the people rather than like the like the Zoom or anything, that was more because that the people like made effort and like they were nice and they were just like like there was a lot of communications going back and forth like mm -hmm. i was always i would always come to you and be like this is what like today this is what's happening i don't really know what's going on so like there was always that communication i guess so it was it was a lot easier for me to sort of get on quickly but i still find it really weird that i haven't met anybody it's still, I can't really i can't deny that i don't find it weird i like i'm i'm thinking like when I meet everyone, how do I act? Like, how is that gonna look? How, how is that first meeting gonna look like? What, Literally, what is the impression gonna be? What's the first impression gonna be? I still in my head. I can't tell you that I'm not thinking about it. I don't think yeah. about it every day, but like, it's there somewhere. Like, I haven't met everyone before, so I'm just thinking when I meet them. It's literally. Yeah, like for listeners, I like to quiz Blessed. I'm like, how tall do you think people are? What do you think people's legs look like? <laughs> Which of us do you think walk funny? Because these are all things that he has no idea of because he's never met any of us in person. Yeah. And it's those things that, like, I'm a big uh, body language and a big visual person. Like, my nightmare is being in meetings with people with their cameras off um, because I rely, uh, one, um, as the audience won't know, but I am um, partially deaf, so I'm used to lip reading. So my entire life revolves around staring at people's faces. <laughs> so suddenly having disembodied voices yeah. come out of these black boxes is horrifying for me. And so it's that thing of, you know, one, when you know somebody quite well, but you've never mm. met in person, mm. how do you interact? What's the friendliness level? What's the physicality level? Yeah. How am I around this person? And then on the top of that, we've all gone through this year of not interacting with people. I think everybody is trying to put themselves back into social situations and remember how we socialize. Yeah. Um, so that's just compounding it. So even with like close friends of mine, if I haven't seen them in person for six months, I'm weird the first time I see them. Yeah. Uh, so that's even double when they're people that you have never physically met, you know? Yeah. It's like, do I go for the formal handshake? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Esther. <laughs> <laughs> like, what am I gonna do? I need to figure it out. God. Yeah. <laughs> literally and i mean it's part of for for people that are listening that are like coming into the professional world or the new world that is first off one of the uh, weirdest things about entering a professional environment is there is no handbook on yeah. how to be so you have to pick it up from everyone around you and each job is different and each person is different yeah. and there's always a hugger in every office there's one person that just hugs everybody and there's another person that's like touch me and i'll kill you yeah. and you don't get told who that person is until you make the wrong choice <laughs> so and so i think it's already I, something that we struggle with yeah i just hope i'm not going to be overly um what's the word enthusiastic and then i hope there's nobody that doesn't like somebody like getting too close to them 
So like, <laughs> just imagine you go for the hug and someone just be like, don't touch me. I was like, okay. Yeah, no, literally, like with our office, you don't have to worry about that. But it's, oh, it is no. this thing that already as young professionals, we're managing, like, you know, mm. I've met people and I've been like, oh yes, a handshake. And then they've been like quite weirded out that I want to shake their hand and things like that. So it's just compounding this sort of business problem we already have of like trying to figure out how I professionalize within an environment. Mm. Um, and so I think, it's going to be really interesting for people that have joined online or people that are entering their first jobs. Um, Suddenly actually watching everybody else go back to that point one step, you know, actually I think it might level the playing field a bit and like, nobody knows what's going on. Everything's weird. You might as well just go for it and see what happens because everyone's in the same position. It's it's even more difficult because I know there are definitely some companies because some of my friends work for different places. And there are some companies where like people don't turn on their Zoom like cameras during meetings. And I'm just like, I think you're gonna have it's gonna take a lot of time for you to relearn how to communicate with people at this point because Yeah. (laughs) Well, also, well, this is an interesting argument as well. Uh we were, I was talking about this recently with uh, somebody about how uh, they're doing all these studies now into Zoom and how it affects your eyes and, and you know, what's it doing for body language and things. And mm. what I think is really interesting is there's this onus to perform mm. when you're on camera. Um, and I think particularly for, uh, you know, people who are new to positions or people in certain positions, there's this need to always look constantly engaged and constantly excited and actively listening. And I must be nodding the entire time somebody is speaking. And that's not natural. That's not how mm. you are in a meeting. In a meeting, you can be listening and writing notes or you can be listening, looking out the window and thinking about what the person's saying. You might be looking at them, yeah. to, you know, but we have all these behaviours that we do that suddenly on Zoom, they feel like they're not allowed. Yeah, and even though they are, there's like this unspoken rule of like, no, I, I must be staring at the camera. So I feel like there's this this need when we're on camera to perform, yeah, and to be actively listening and to be nodding and to be uh, smiling and you know, particularly if you have your self view on, do I look engaged? Do I look like I'm paying attention? Whereas that's not natural in a meeting. You might be drawing. You know, I have people I know people that doodle in meetings. It helps them concentrate. You might be looking out of a window. You might be taking notes. You know, there's lots of these ways that we behave in person that feel like they're not allowed on Zoom. Mm. And so, you know, it's this question of performance. Like, are you actually engaging any better because you're performing like you are? Or is it a point of saying, like, actually, I really benefit just from listening. So I'm going to turn my camera off and just be in the moment and just listen to what you're saying. Mm. Um, Versus people that sit there with the camera off and, and don't contribute. And you go, well, I don't know if you're even there. You know, you might have wandered off. Like, So I think within teams, finding that flexibility of being able to say, I trust you and I know that if you're sat there with your camera off, it's because you need an eye break. It's because you're yeah. doing whatever, but I can trust you to be listening and absorbing what's going on. Yeah. I think that's a balance people are finding. Okay. I, I think that's a very fair point. How do you, like, you're talking about, like, trusting people that they're doing what they're meant to be doing, but how do you keep, like... As a manager, how do you keep your team, I, I guess, motivated? Like, Because you're not really seeing what everyone is doing. It's not like in the office where you can tell people are doing stuff that they're meant to be doing because everyone is in isolation. After you probably have your catch-up or your Zoom, everything yeah. is done. You can't really tell what people are doing. So how do you keep that motivation going? I guess for me, it's a balance of saying to everybody, like, we are adults. Yeah. 
you know, I, there's many things we trust people to do on their own, like feed themselves and travel and things. So I can trust you to do what I need you to do. And I think it comes back to what we said at the beginning of that being accountable to somebody. Mm. You know, if you don't do it, it's going to come out when yeah. that report is late or when that piece of work isn't done yeah. or whatever else it is. You know, it's going to come out that that wasn't done. And then at that point, you know, that's when you go down the roots of, um, you know things we don't like doing like disciplinaries or warnings or things like that and so i think it's just fostering within your team this idea of mm. um you know that if you if you don't do it you are not letting yourself down you're letting quite a few people down and hopefully there is enough respect between those colleagues that you wouldn't do that yeah i think the balance of that is when you're new and you don't have a lot to do or you've been set off on a task and you're not sure it's just about having that space open like hey i'm going to chill in a zoom if you have any questions jump in and ask or here's my number why don't you call me and we'll just chat while we do this this work together mm. you know it's about building that open communication environment i think what is not healthy is companies that like spy or constantly monitor like i've seen things about like people tying their their computer mouse to a fan so it looks like it's moving because if their mouse stops moving then it, the computer tells their boss that they're not working <laughs> yeah god knows what system it is but like wow, wow. If, if you are having to do that level, level it's next level and also i'm sorry if you're having to do that level of monitoring you've not hired the right people yeah or like <laughs> probably something wrong with the leadership yeah that is insecure leadership where they feel like unless you are dedicating every breath and every minute to doing your job, it that's the only way it can be done properly. And therefore, you're not hiring the right people. If you are hiring people you do not trust, you're just setting yourself up for failure because you're demoralizing them. Mm. You're taking away, again, that human aspect. If we're in the office and I've just got out of like a really intense meeting, I'm going to say to the team, I'm going to go get a cup of tea and go stand outside for 10 minutes because I need to like decompress from that meeting and everyone will go that's fine but if I do that on zoom if I do that online if I wandered away from my desk for 10 minutes and it started beeping and telling the boss that I wasn't working mm. like that is just not on it, it <laughs> treats people like machines well, I know someone that have to always make sure like I don't know I don't know what one monitoring system is but he has to make sure that he's online I don't know what they do but he has to always make sure that he's online and his screen is on I'm not sure what it is and yeah because if he's not like online then they will assume he's not working i don't know what it is i can't remember now but that's just next level i'm just like that means you don't really trust like the people that you work with or the people that work for you and because... also and also if you're if you're having a point where somebody isn't doing their work and you have to monitor them and you have to be saying why is this not being done then that person is not in the right job yeah. That person does not care about what they're doing. That person does not care about the work they're producing. And yeah. for some jobs, that is absolutely fine. You can turn up not care in the slightest, get your job done and go home and never think about it again. That is absolutely fine. Yeah. But it does speak to that company culture of like, why are there people in these roles that don't care? Mm. Or why are there people in these roles that don't care enough that they don't mind letting other people down and they don't mind getting disciplinary action over it? Um, and as blessed will know from me managing it, I, I tend to take an aggressively positive approach to managing. <laughs> I don't like telling people off. I don't like uh, being mean with people. I'm not even mean, I just don't like being firm with people. But what I do always try to uh, adopt when I'm managing people is just this idea of mutual respect. I will not let you down if you don't let me down. And then together the, the wheels keep turning, the cog keeps going, and we reap the benefits. You know, if yeah. the company does well, we do well. We're very lucky we're in a company that 
rewards hard work in, in different ways and is very flexible in its approach to the staff. I don't want to jeopardize that. I don't want to be the person that they turn around and say like, right, no more working from home privileges because so-and-so didn't do their work. Like that's mm -hmm. not fair on anybody else. Yeah. So I think just having that accountability to other people apart from yourself is so, so key. Um, and yeah. Yeah, but that's why I always say like people need to be, especially for like young people or people that are getting into their first jobs, you need to make sure that the job that you're getting into is something that you like, in a in a way, and something even if it's not something you like, something you know you can give all your attention and dedication to. It can't just be. I I know it's a bit harsh to say that people shouldn't just apply for any and any job because there's just only a few jobs available, but you just have to make sure that you pick or you you pick what you're interested in. in as much as possible, as much as you can, try and pick what you're interested in because if you're if you have an interest in what you're doing, then you're more likely to give to the job and respect people that you work with because you understand why you're there and what is expected of you. Hundred um, percent, and it's also it's about playing. I talk a lot about the long game, so I have worked jobs in the past that I have hated <laughs> so much, you know. And it's not a job I've enjoyed. It's not a job I've wanted to be at. It's not a job I've wanted to do. But I've looked at that job and been like, okay, long game. What skill is this job going to give me? Or what reference will this job give me? Or what um, experience will this job get give me that will get me to that next level? Yeah. That will get me to the end goal, which is my dream career, which is whatever job I want to do. Yeah. And so I think as well, it's about your mindset to it of like, you might hate what you're doing. You might be like, this is the worst job in the world. Why am I doing this? It doesn't matter if you are playing to your own long game. If you are saying to yourself, it is worth me putting in that, you know, 35 hours a week now to get through this job, to do it well so that I get a good reference because actually my next step is over there and I need this to get there. Yeah. Then do it for yourself. Don't do it for anybody else, but do it for you. Yeah. So it's all about being patient of like 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 you said it's all about playing the long game as far as you but what like when you're in it you need to make sure you still give like your best because even if you don't like it you still have to give like your best in the work i know there are people that like in their work and they don't like it but what can but you do it, it is what you can do and it's also understanding that like people talk so like we're saying about being accountable to other people yeah nobody is in a bubble you know and unless you are in a job that is in no way going to ever impact your future career choices or is in a completely different industry you know references are a thing people knowing each other is a thing the world is much smaller than we think it is yeah. and you don't know that that supervisor that just told you off for not doing your work isn't going to be best friends with the hiring manager at your next job and isn't going to be like, mm, you know what, they worked for me and they really didn't try. Oh, you know, they're, they're, they're great if you're watching them. The minute you take your eye off them, oh, they don't do anything. And so I think it's unfortunately self-preservation of you don't know who knows who. Yeah. So if you give the best impression of yourself to each person that you meet on that journey, you are only doing yourself a favor. <laughs> I like the way you put it. If you do the best for yourself. You, yeah. I mean, like... For me, it's always like, I always tell people, you have to be, I don't know, you just have to dedicate yourself to something. If you're going to, if 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 you if you apply for a job and you get the job, you have to dedicate your time to it because you put yourself in that situation. So you can't be like now, oh, nah, I don't like it. I don't, if you don't like it, just quit the job and then you move on. If you know you're not going to, I know I'm a bit harsh, but <laughs> the reality. Right? If you know you're not going to give it anything, like just let it go 
and I know it's again, I know it's not easy because people need to pay their rent and stuff, but absolutely. Then... It's this balance of not doing disservice to yourself. Yeah. You know, we all I mean, I don't know about you, Blessed, but I've done jobs in the past that like whew, purely did for the money, purely did so I could <laughs> eat and would never go back to. And at the time it sucked and it was awful and I hated it and it was terrible. But I was never gonna disservice yeah, I myself. I am I am spending my time and my energy doing this so that I can live. Therefore, what else can I get out of this? you know or what can i do to make the situation the best it can be in this moment and nine times out of ten just not doing your work even though it feels great in the moment just leads to problems down the line so even if that is i'm going to do my work to not the best of my ability i'm just going to do my work to ability and enough to get through then that's fine you know you do what you need to do to get through that but i think what people drop themselves in this trap of I'm not enjoying it, so I'm just going to do really badly. And all you are doing is, I talk a lot about future you. All you are doing is messing up future you. And they're not <laughs> going to thank past them for this. You know, they're going to look back at you and be like, what were you doing? <laughs> so, I am so glad you mentioned future you. Because <laughs> the next question I'm about to ask you is, what did like the young Esther, like when like Esther was like maybe five, maybe not, five <laughs> is too young, maybe like 10. What was the dream? Oh, so this, I'm a bit of a complex case. Um, (laughs) So very, well, so when I was, uh, maybe not 10, I don't remember, when I was 11, I was like, I want to be a corporate lawyer. And it was because I Googled what job makes the most money. (laughs) And it came back corporate lawyer. And so I was like, yeah, 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 I'm going to be a corporate lawyer. And then I looked at what that was and it sounded really boring. (laughs) So I was like, I'm not going to do that. So then I was like, Uh, I was really into my medical shows. I loved, you know, uh, a bit of, um, you know, I loved all the A&E shows and stuff. And I was like, cool, I want to be a doctor. And I was really bright. I was a really smart kid. You know, I was like, I want to be a doctor. But, because I can never just be simple, I was like, I only want to do it in the military. I was like, I want to be an army doctor. I was like, I love MASH. Don't know if you ever saw MASH, but I love MASH. So I was like, I want to be an army doctor. I want to be sewing legs on. I want to be saving lives in the field all this so I went when I was 16 I went for to sign up for the army this is the way so I went to sign up for the army because if you sign up and then go to medical uh, school well this was the case back then it might change but they would pay for your medical degree and I couldn't afford it otherwise so I was like cool go sign up get them to pay for the medical degree be a doctor great went for the medical and that's when they found out um, that I'm deaf. So for mm. people that don't know, I'm 6% deaf. I was fully deaf as a child. Mm. I have a lot of hearing issues. And the guy in the army like registry thing was like, there's no point you even applying. Like they're not mm. gonna take you. Cause if you hear so on that leg mm. and they've said so on that arm, mm. you're gonna be in trouble. <laughs> you know, like they're <laughs> never gonna take a doctor that can't hear what's going on. Um, wow. So I was like, fine had a tantrum and went, I'm not doing medicine, much to everybody's disappointment. Um, and and then, yeah, and so that's the thing. Young me had all these sort of grand ideas of things that I would do and was always aiming for these things, but never for the right reasons, I felt. Like the first time it was for money. And then with the army thing, it was like, again, it was money. It was like, I won't have student debts. Um, you know, I only have to work till I'm 35 and then I can retire on an army pension. I never actually stopped and thought about would I enjoy that? Do I want to be in a war zone? Do I want to be in a courtroom arguing about property tax? You know, 
And so I think for me, my sort of great awakening came in my 20s when I went, actually, what do I want to do? What would make me happy? Mm. And then I went and did that and had a much better time. <laughs> nice. um, so, yeah, so unfortunately, young Esther was not the inspiration that perhaps she needed to be. <laughs> I, I, think she, like, I think young Esther had a lot of dreams, though. At, at least she thought about like different things that she could have been, which is really good. And, and I think like what you said about like, having like your moment in your 20s where you finally decided what you wanted to do but like how long did it take you to decide that like if you if you could go back like a couple of years ago what advice would you have given yourself maybe before your 20s yeah like before my 20s I would have been like uh try harder (laughs) you know uh drinking is not the most important thing in the world uh (laughs) boys are not the most important thing in the world um yeah (laughs) that's definitely the advice i would have given young me and it's it would have been that it would have been the passion thing so to Mm. to sort of finish the story for people i went to uni and did drama Mm. uh so a complete change from from law and medicine i was you know luckily not a huge disappointment to my family because we (laughs) we have actors in the family (laughs) But I went, you know what, I'm going to go do drama and see what happens. And in my th- and I was like, went through my degree and was like, oh, I might do this, I might do that. And in my third year, I, I did a placement. And mm. it was for a youth theatre that specifically caters in South London. It works primarily with children from uh, mm. uh, low social economic backgrounds, children with disabilities, mm. young people with mental health issues. It caters to people who are not sort of in the mainstream. Mm-hmm. um of theatre and of drama and I loved it I absolutely fell in love with those kids with the job I would get up at 6am every Saturday to go and work for free to mm-hmm. <laughs> work with these kids and that was the moment for me when I went wow if I if I the girl who will drink till 4am <laughs> and then get up at 6am mm-hmm. to go and work for free with these young people I have found something here and so I started pursuing that I went into teaching theatre from that I went into uh, working in the third sector and now I work in in community projects like going to people from different backgrounds from different communities and saying hey Mm. can be a part of something amazing Mm. and that was the journey if I could go back to me just before that point I'd be like hang on right now you have no idea what you want to do everybody else has their life planned out you are like floundering you're going I've got six months left on my degree and then I have no idea what I'm going to do just wait and then you're going to meet these kids mm. and you're going to have this experience and it's going to change your life wow. and and yeah and that was it for me and that's ever since now if I can do something that is working with people or making people's lives even for a day even for an hour having that experience with people then I am mm. happy you know this is, I mean, it's great the way you sort of like put it on, like the journey as well, like getting to where you are now. It's really, really amazing, and like how like passionate that you are about things. I think my first time I met you, I was like, she's really a people's person. Like, <laughs> she knows how to communicate with people, so I can see it. But I think it's kind of related to like the um, young guest as well, because you had the, all these dreams about being a medical doctor in the army. So it's about helping people, isn't it? So yeah, I, I think it's sort of like connect. So it's always been there. Maybe it's just like took a lot of time for you to find it. I don't know. I'm not like uh, what <laughs> you're my psychologist now. Yeah, so doctor, doctor blessed. What do you think? So, I just think maybe it just like took a long time. Maybe not a long time. Maybe you just like I don't yeah. Know, but you found well, it anyways. 
I do find it. And I flip it back to you, Blessed, in that, you know, when I met you, you told me all about your degree, which sounds fascinating, but straight over my head. I'm like, I don't even know what half those words mean, but it sounds really great. You know, and you came into, I feel like, a company and environment of work that is so remote from that field. Yeah. Um, you know, how how did you find that? Actually, I think we are, we are a bit similar. I mm. we, have, we have something similar because when I was younger, I wanted to become, First of all, I wanted to become a scientist. That I knew for sure. Mm. Then at, at some point, I said I wanted to become a doctor. So mm. me coming to the UK was to come and do like a degree, then go to medical school. But after I finish, so towards the second year of my degree, I realized that mm, I was thinking medical school, medical school, medical school. Is, there, is it really the right idea? No, exactly. I don't know. I wasn't sure. I was mm. sure about it. Then I was doing everything that you needed to do, right? Working in the pharmacy, getting all my professional experience that I needed to apply. And I had even, at one point, I had the registered for the UK CAT test as well. Got mm. the books, got everything ready to take the exams and all of that. But I just never took it. It just, just never happened. I, just, I don't know why I never took it. But when I went to my final year of university, I realized that I wanted to do something different. Like, I always knew, like, I'm good at science. So I'm not bad at it. At least I know I'm not bad at it. I'm okay <laughs> in science. Being a you scientist, I'm okay. I'm okay with all the theories. But what I really found difficult was sort of applying myself as a scientist. Like, but I always knew like I had this little like little nuances that I wanted to explore because I knew I could talk to people. I could so I decided to go into the students' union and finally we worked out. But then that show, sort of showed me like a different side of myself in terms of how I communicate with people, how I deal with mm -hmm. people, different things I could do. Like while I was in the union, I did so many events, hosted so many events, did so many things. I was like, wow, you can actually do some of this stuff. Oh, I never knew. Whereas the last two years of uni, the first two years of uni, I was just this boring guy that was just going <laughs> to the library and just, just like doing all this stuff. Like it, it didn't really hit me that I could do other things. So I guess that's why from then on, I kind of never limited myself in terms of what I could do. And for me, science, for me, studying what I'm studying is more about having the knowledge, but being able to sort of translate it to people who doesn't really necessarily like have the knowledge. So bridging that like communication gap between like general public and science, which is why like I find like big ideas very, very helpful because when I... I, when I came in, it was it was a bit weird for me because when I first met Virginia and she was talking about all this stuff, I was like, it's a really interesting company, but, but I didn't really know much. But when I came in, it just opened my eyes to a lot of things and I was like, actually, this makes a lot of sense because like the, the, the vast amount of people that you work with and sort of like the things that we do, like the different places that we cover. And it just took me back to the time at the Students' Union where you get to work with like students from like different backgrounds and just, they, I think the amount of people that you could reach, I think that's 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 what I found most most useful, I guess. The amount yeah. of people you can, you can reach. And I think, cause somebody gave me an advice once, I think one of the people I probably, I don't really have a mentor, but I would consider her a mentor. She was like, I went to her for advice on my career. She was like, do you want to do, do you want to make money? Because if you want to make money, you can go into the pharmaceuticals and all of that. And this was while I was still deciding if I wanted to go into teaching. But she was like, you might, you, but if you want to go into teaching, you have, um, 
Is that you want to make money or you want to do something rewarding, something that you would look mm. back tomorrow and be like, I impacted the life of this many people. That's why from then onwards, any career path I've chosen, I have to make sure that in any way, shape or form, I'm reaching out to people as much as yeah. I can. I, I fully, I think that's an amazing story, blessed. And it's definitely helped me as somebody who works with you understand your motivation. And I think, you know, particularly talking to young viewers or young listeners out there, rather, like, it's this idea that you kind of put yourself in a box and then that's what you stay in. And actually, no, like, mm. so few people's career paths go from A to B to C. You yeah. know, we all kind of dash all over the place. We all try out different things. And I think it is this balance of, um, I I went to a youth theatre when I was a child and their mantra was uh, at the end of your life you will be asked how many people are happier because you were born mm, wow. and yeah and that's something that stuck with me and it's this balance of I think people don't realise they have a choice in that you can do that through your work you know the way that we yeah. do and that is wonderful and fulfilling and brilliant. You can also, if it's right for you, you can go and do the nine to five job that pays well. If that mm. means in your free time, you can do what you are passionate about. Yeah. You know, there are so many people that I have. I have a friend who's like an accountant and she's great at it. She hates it. She's like, I turn up <laughs> and count numbers on it. But in her spare time, she runs like nonprofits and she works with people and she yeah. does amazing things with people and she's like yeah it pays for me so that i can do the stuff that i care about and so i think yeah. a lot of people feel like it's a one or the other and it's like you can have both yeah you just need to let yourself be open to it and not be like if i'm not at you know point b by the time i'm 25 i'll never reach c by the time i'm 40 and then everything's a failure like just be open and just try things out and what you think mm. might work for you might not and things that you've never considered in a million years yeah. might be the best thing that ever happened to you you know definitely Def I, I definitely agree with that because i have done because I, I used to say to most of the people that like i finished my course with like they were like you're doing so many things like you're just like you do some things that are not related to what you study i was like because i'm open to anything because i'm i'm still relatively young i'm not rushing for anything yeah. so i'm just taking my time to learn as much as possible and sometimes people don't realize about it's about process, about growth, and basically, like you said, it's about choosing something that is rewarding. We're not saying that everybody should do charities and all of that, but but doing something that is rewarding for you and for people mm -hmm. that are around you, being able to affect like lives in positive ways or in any way, shape, or form that you can sort of like make a difference. I I guess that's basically what it is in your work. It doesn't have to be people, but like your work, anything that you do, make sure that it's something that you can change something or I don't know, something like that. Like you were saying, something you can get to the end of the line and look yeah. back and go, yeah, yeah. I did good. I'm yeah. proud of that. You I'm know? proud of myself. Yeah. yeah. Work takes up su such a huge portion of our lives. You know, there is nothing, I can't imagine anything worse than looking back and being like, oh, I spent 30 years doing a job that was there. Eh didn't really affect anything and I didn't really enjoy it you know and I didn't really do anything with my free time from it um you yeah. know as long as you have something that you can look up back on and be like yeah that was great yeah I did a really good job with that yeah if people talk about me that's what I want them to talk about me doing and whether yeah. that's in work or out of it just make sure you have that thing yeah. you know and then you I promise you you will be happy you know <laughs> I think we've had a very very great conversation today Esther um I guess my final question would be because this podcast is mostly for young people, young professionals, whatever age they might be. What is your final advice in terms of just 
maybe choosing a career and yeah yeah so um just to sort of maybe summarize what i've been saying my final advice would be be open mm. explore take those opportunities take those chances do the thing that scares you mm. um you know the worst thing in the world that happens is it doesn't work out and you try something else yeah and the thing that i would also say is you know as long as you always carry yourself with pride, with pride in what you do and in pride mm. of who you are, even if you've got to fake it, there are days where we all have to fake it till we make it. <laughs> but if fake you, it you make it. Absolutely, but if you can walk out of that room at the end of the day and say, I'm proud of something that I did today, then you're doing great and mm. you don't need to put too much pressure on yourself. You know, Just carry yourself how you wish to be seen and you'll do all right. Thank you so much, Esther. Guys, you heard from the guru. I call Esther the guru. <laughs> so um, make sure you stream the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and everywhere. Like anywhere you're listening from, don't really matter. Make sure you leave your reviews as well. And we're out.